What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. It is Sammy from Fine Food Freedom here, and I'm all by my lonesome today without my co-host, at least just for the intro. Um, But I did have an amazing, amazing interview today with somebody who's very close to home for me. I interviewed Julie Roberti, who is one of the dietitians on the Fine Food Freedom team. So she's not only a dietitian, but she is also an intuitive eating counselor. And she is also a certified diabetes care and education specialist, which the correct credential is CDCES. Is that enough letters for you? And actually in the episode, when I introduce her, you'll see like right in the beginning, I call her a CDE, which is a certified diabetes educator. That's what the credential used to be. And then the National Certification Board of Diabetes Care and Education updated the credential. This is all really boring information that you probably don't give a shit about, but I just thought I... I should be politically correct. So it's kind of funny because I introduce her as a CDE, which is correct. That's what she used to be. But now the the credential has been updated. So with that long-winded introduction, um, Julie is one of the dietitians and counselors on the Fine Food Freedom team. And I've been wanting to do this podcast with her for a very long time. So I'm so happy that we actually finally took the time to sit down and record it. But we get so many questions about different medical diseases and conditions through direct message, through, you know, emails of, okay, you know, I have diabetes or I have pre-diabetes or my partner has diabetes. Can you still walk an intuitive eating journey and have diabetes? And the answer is absolutely with flying freaking colors. Yes. But we get into the why behind that, because I think there's so much misconception of what intuitive eating actually is and how it can be paired with a medical disease or condition. And so I'm just so honored to, of course, have one of my own team members on here to have this information. Um, But if you are struggling with diabetes, if you have a loved one who has diabetes or is newly diagnosed, this is a great, great episode to share. So we would absolutely appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. If you like this, rate us, review, send it to a friend, send it to a family member, send it to a loved one. If this episode really resonates with you or really you know, has some good education that you feel like others need to hear, the way that you can help us reach more people is by just sharing it. So I don't want to keep going on and on about what the episode is because I just really, really want to get into it. Um, so I'm so excited that you get to get a little bit more of a, a back, back end behind the scenes, um, get to know you episode of Julie, one of the fine food freedom team members, we get to dig deep into the questions behind diabetes care with intuitive eating. So let's get right into this. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, I am honored to have somebody from our Find Food Freedom family um, here. We have Miss Julie Roberti, who is one of our very own registered dietitians and intuitive eating counselors. Thank you, Julie, for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. And very nervous, which is hilarious. (laughs) I know my daughter teaches, she, she's 
she does the podcast for her high school and she, and I said something and I was going on this podcast. She goes, oh my God, it's easy, mom. You just talk. You just talk. I'm like, okay, If you think about it, it's literally like, because our practice for those listening, our practice is 100% virtual now. So we're having a Zoom meeting. Like it's literally the same thing, which is so funny. And just knowing your personality personally, I'm like, how is Julie nervous? I don't even understand. It's so funny, Um, which we will get to that story. And actually I have a story in a second, but um, so I also forgot to mention when I introduced you that you are also a CDE for those listening, that's a certified diabetes educator. And so today's podcast will be all about kind of how to marry the two worlds of diabetes care and intuitive eating. But before I get ahead of myself, we're going to do a quick little this or that with you so our listeners can get to know you better on a personal level unrelated to nutrition. So coffee or tea? Definitely tea. I already, I already know all the answers to these questions. I know, I know. Um, I love it. No, this is fun. It's good. So I can tell how well I know you. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Tequila or vodka? You can say neither. Um, back in the day, it would be vodka. Okay. I like that answer. It would have been vodka back in the day. Not a huge drinker at the moment, but vodka. I, I've done a few lemon drops in my past. <laughs> I want to hear some of the stories of the lemon drops, yeah. but it's funny because, um, yeah, like for people listening, like you and I have been out to eat how many times and like you'd you just really don't enjoy alcohol and there's nothing wrong with that. And listening to our podcast, if anyone wants to go back to episode 36, we talk all about our relationship with alcohol, um, hard or soft shell taco. Always hard. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. We need to, yeah. Has to be crunchy. Perfect. Yeah. Salty or sweet. Mmm. You know, I would have said sweet a long time ago, but as I age, I find the combo of salty sweet. Like a chocolate covered pretzel? Yeah, like like both together is actually really yummy. Yeah, for that, yeah. Okay, crunchy or smooth peanut butter? Uh, Oh, crunchy, yeah. Crunchy, God, smooth is so boring. Oh God, you like the smooth, right? I'm, I'm oh, team yeah. smooth. I'm team smooth. Jenna's not here to defend the the team crunchy, but I'll let it slide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, night out on the town or Netflix and chill? Oh, dude, come on. I already know your answer, but go ahead. Netflix and chill, a hundred percent. What's your What's your most recent binge worthy show that you've been watching? Oh my God. I just finished the Queen's Gambit. My mom was watching that. Amazing. I heard it's good. Amazing. That was great. Yeah. Loved it. Oh, and we just started um, Your Honor, which is on Showtime with Brian Cranston. It, the first episode is amazing. Yeah. It, you have to watch that. I know. Oh, and The Undoing. I told you you should have watched yes, that. Yes. Yes. That's, that's another one. That's yeah. another one. I'm yeah. still like mourning... Shit's Creek. Yeah. Like finishing it. Like I, I just need to go back and watch it again. Season three. I'm like behind. I got to catch up. I know. it's Oh, good. good. Okay. Um, last one here. If you could have one thing in limitless quantities, but it can't be money, what would it be and why? Oh, sorry. I didn't, I didn't ask this right. Limitless quantities for the rest of your life, but it can't be money. What would you want and why? Um, oh, wow. I have a lot of like small addictions, like shoes and purses and coats. Like if I could just continue to have those and is yeah, fashion, just unlimited, whatever you want. Yeah, I don't know why, but yeah, that's awesome. Shoes, shoes probably. Do you wear shoes when you counsel virtually and during COVID? Well, I mean, I, I have slippers on right now, but I probably have like 20 pairs of slippers. That's so funny. I mean, not just one pair is ever good enough. Yeah. I yeah. need, I need some new slippers. That's a, that's a good, good gift idea. All right. Well, that helps me. I feel like I already knew you. So that I'm, I, that just validates what I know about you, Julie. And hopefully our listeners got to know you a little bit more, but 
I want to start before we get into today's episode about diabetes care, you know, coming from a non-diet approach lens. I would love for you, you can take 30 seconds, you can take 30 minutes. I would love for you to just share your story of how you got to where you are today. And I will absolutely be interjecting myself once you get to the part of applying to work with our organization and what, what I was given in your application, but whenever we get there. Yeah. So this will be the next 30 minutes. No, just kidding. Um, so, um, I, I am going on, uh, let's see, I graduated from the university of Delaware in 1991 and did my internship, um, at Abington Memorial hospital right outside of Philadelphia. And, um, my first job was, um, at Elkins park hospital. And I was, you know, a clinical dietitian. Um, I think I was like promoted to like diet office manager at that point. Um, I went back to get my master's at St. Joseph's university and I got a master. I completed that. Um, I want to say in like 1995. Um, and I got a master's in nutrition education and marketing and knew that like, I had to get out of clinical. I I do believe that clinical is a really back then, 30 years ago, we were told that you had to do clinical in order to like move on in your career. Everybody had to start off with clinical. And I personally did not enjoy clinical at all. Um, but I did feel like it gave me a lot of really important, um, just things that I was able to like move into in in my career. So I knew at that point that one of my rotations in my internship was counseling and, oh my gosh, I wanted to be a counselor so bad. I wanted that job. I wanted to get out of clinical and I wanted to go into counseling. Um, So I knew one of the ways that I can get into counseling was getting into diabetes. So I started getting my thousand hours of diabetes. You have to, I guess, in order to become a certified diabetes educator, you have to have, at the time it was a thousand hours of working uh, um, diabetes care. um, And then you sit for an exam. So um, I started working part-time part-time clinical, part-time working in a rehab facility as a diabetes, doing some outpatient counseling and diabetes. So that's where I kind of started accruing all my hours. Um, And then I sat for my CD exam. I passed and I ended up getting a job for a startup company called Achieving Better Control out of Philadelphia. And I worked there for about four years and I loved it. I was in charge of Um, helping to create a program. And we went out into the community um, in Philadelphia, around the city. And I literally just drove around, unpacked a box and taught all different people from all different socioeconomic backgrounds about diabetes education. And that was really my first job in in diabetes. And back then it was a little different um, than kind of what I would do now, but I I, I love that job. I loved being able to um, get out into the community and teach. I love teaching. I love getting up in front of people. And it was really fulfilling. Um, after that, I left that position um, and I became the diabetes coordinator at Albert Einstein Medical Center. I did that for a year before I ended up moving down here to Florida. So I'm originally was living in Philadelphia at the time. And, um, my boyfriend at the time was living in Florida and I picked up and I moved and I came down here. So when I got down to Florida, um, I had no idea where I was going to start. I knew I was going to stay in diabetes. Um, I actually got my next job by looking in a phone book. I literally went through all diabetes offices, endocrinologists. And I just got on the phone and I called and said, I'm a diabetes educator. I'm new to the area. Like, do you have a position for me? Nobody called me back. (laughs) I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. 
And then a week later, I got a call from uh, Northeast Florida Endocrine and Diabetes Associates. Um, they were looking to start a new practice. They needed a dietitian. They already had a nurse educator because when you are a certified diabetes educator, you can either be a, you can be a nurse or you can be a dietitian. So they needed the dietitian half to create the program. So I worked there for a good 13 years. That was, I spent a, a, a large amount of my career um, doing diabetes education, teaching classes, teaching people how to do insulin, check their blood sugars. We, we worked with people with, who had insulin pumps. Um, so that was, that was a great um, time in my life. I really enjoyed that. Um, but like I said, at, at this point, I have been in diabetes education for a really long time. And um, my kids were getting a little bit older. Um, they, uh, they were still in like elementary school. And at that point, I moved on to another startup position. Um, and it was like a wellness uh, corporation. And I was just doing kind of wellness education counseling for about seven years until I was watching Sammy's podcast and, or not her podcast, your Instagram, and saw that you were looking for a dietitian. Now, at the time I was following you on Instagram and you were doing your fuck diet shit. And I was like, oh my God, who is this girl? Like, if anybody knows me, like, they're like, oh, you would, you have to work for this woman. Like you have to, you guys are like, cut from the same cloth. So I'm watching the fuck diet stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if like, this is the path I want to go down. At this point, I was like, going to start my own business. I was getting into holistic. I had just gotten a certification in holistic nutrition. And I was just going into a totally different path um, until I saw your Instagram. And Fuck diet got me and I applied and yeah, you can take it from there. I mean, the, the rest is history. Uh, I was yours from, from fuck diet from the first time I heard it. Well, I, I always giggle because we had a, I forget how many, I, I should have looked that up before we had this episode, but we had a lot of people apply when we were hiring and Amy had already been a part of our team. So we were looking to hire another part-timer um, or, well, I think it was posted for full-time. And then I was like, actually it's going to be part-time. And then you're like, thank God. Oh my God. Oh my it God. Was that was one of the things I was like, I don't really want to go back. I, all right. So I forgot to say I've been part-time since I had my daughter 17 years ago. So when it was, it was full-time, my husband's like, really, you want to go back full-time? I'm like, no, but I, I don't know. I'm so drawn to this for some reason. And when you called me and you're like, there's an issue though. And I was like, okay, what? And you're like, it's not full time. And I was like, oh my God, it was meant to be. Okay. That's great. <laughs> Perfect. But when, for those listening, we, I basically during an application process, I like to, of course, um, get to know the dietitian. And I think, uh, you know, dietitians, uh, I don't want to stereotype, but are classically very type A and can be stuffy. And I think from a counseling perspective, of course, we were looking for a certain amount of um, experience with counseling because it takes a very, very important skill set. But then also just personality wise is, you know, if somebody's following me on Instagram and they see my fuck diet culture Friday video, and then they would go into a prim and proper dietitian, it might not be an easy transition. And so Julie sent in a video. I had every applicant send in a video and I said, one minute, tell me about yourself. I should have pulled it. I have it on the drive. I could pull it up right now and play it. But Julie literally is like, Hey, my name's Julie. Don't write me off because of my age. You said something like that. And then you were like, I love your fuck diet stuff. Oh my God. There's only 30 seconds left. What do I say? Oh my God. The, the time's counting down. And that like, that would be my impression of it. I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. But, and as soon as like, I saw the video, I was like, yes, I need to talk to this one. Um, not that others didn't send in amazing videos, but just, you could just tell how personable you were and just that you understood kind of our messaging and, and it's 
Awesome. And, I, and I'm going to ask this question, of course, I already know the answer, but my question to you would be, you know, Julie, did you have any experience in intuitive eating or health at every size before working with fine food freedom? And what has that journey been like for you? So in my, in the job I had before this, we were very focused on mindfulness and we were very, it was, it was a kind of quote unquote, like helping people to lose weight. It was a little bit more weight centric, but but we did focus a lot on um, really focusing on motivational counseling and interviewing and, and, and really getting to the heart of like behavior change. So I think when I had come in and I interviewed with you, I know, I remember like talking face to face, we did talk a lot about just behavior change. And I knew at the time, I don't even know when I first started, we weren't heavily intuitive eating. I mean, we were no, I was spent straddling. I was like, I'm yeah. going to do intuitive sure. eating, but like, here's some meal plans with calorie. Yeah, count. right. Yeah. We were kind of on that, like splinter assing fence, I guess, as you would call it. So, um, so no, so no, I knew what was very interesting when we talked a little bit about intuitive eating coming from having a disorder relationship with food in my past for the last, for, for God knows how many years, I bought Evelyn Triboli and Elise Reich's book, Intuitive Eating, when I was 25. I mean, it was like the hardcovered small version. I still have the original book. And I remember reading that for my own, you know, my, my own personal use. And I remember thinking, oh my, I like, this is, this is crazy. Someone's saying like, eat all the food and what the fuck? I, I just remember thinking like, I wish I, I, looking back, I wish I had the support that we give people now. If I had that support, I might not have gone like another 20 years with a disorder relationship with my body and the food. Um, but so answering the question, I knew about it. Um, I felt like I was kind of halfway understanding behavior change and things like that. And, and, but, but until we got certified as intuitive eating counselors, that was really life-changing, life-changing for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I obviously agree with you and that, that certification was awesome. And, and what Julie's talking about for those who are listening is our entire team of registered dietitians have all gone through Evelyn Triboli's certification process. Um, she's the, one of the two co-authors of the intuitive eating book, which came out in 1995. So it's not new, but I think a lot of times people think like, oh, intuitive eating is like this new thing people are doing. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's been around for a long time, has 120 plus studies. And there's like an actual certification for counselors to, to take. So uh, once Julie came on board with us, you know, myself and our team, we looked around and we're like, this is going to help take us to the next level so we can take our clients there because I forget where I heard this, but it probably is a very common quote, but like you can only take someone as far as you've gone. And I think that's so true. And especially as a counselor, like, like you said, if we have a disordered relationship with food as a dietitian, how are we supposed to help somebody heal their relationship with food? Yeah. Yeah, totally. That, that was really, I think the turning point, not just for me personally, but I also think like for our practice, right? Like I think everything kind of just changed. Yeah. Yeah. So let's kind of marry this conversation. And I, and, you know, I, I get constantly, constantly, not only just diabetes, but we're going to actually be releasing another podcast soon, um, with a, an intuitive eating dietitian who specializes in PCOS, which I'm really excited about. So today I really just want to hone in on diabetes care because I get, you know, DM after DM of can, I walk an intuitive eating journey with diabetes or can my loved one become an intuitive eater with diabetes? And I want to start with the question. And again, I'm going to bounce off of these with you because I know we, we get this all the time, but if you have a client or if we have a client in our practices, you know, the person has diabetes and they come into you and they say, well, I can't eat carbs and sugar because I have diabetes. And my doctor told me that I can't have carbs and sugar. Where do we begin? So even, even way back when I first started, I used to tell people that there's no diet for diabetes, like from the very beginning. I mean, and this is way back when we were doing kind of fucked up stuff with like 
diets and stuff. And I still would say, you do not have to eat any differently than anybody else. That's to start off with is that there is no diet for diabetes. Our bodies need carbohydrates. We've talked about this before that, um, you know, we need a minimum of 130 grams of carbohydrate every day, just to like, like, like fuel our body just to like live for the day and bare minimum. like the bare minimum, of course. So, you know, when we, I, I think that doctors know, okay, carbohydrates break down into glucose. Glucose is what goes, gets, you know, raises in our blood sugar. And that's what causes blood sugars to go up. But to not eat any carbohydrates at all is not the answer. We can eat all foods and still maintain glucose control. And I think that's, um, you know, that just goes back to physicians just kind of staying stuck in like 1990 or, or whatever, where, or 1980, where, you know, we just gave a low carbohydrate diet and we watch people watch people's blood sugars go down. The problem is, is we know that that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Just like any diet, doesn't matter what diet you're on. Um, we know that that's not sustainable and that's not going to help blood sugars in the long run. Yeah. No, it's, it's so true. And I think I always say to any patient I've ever, you know, worked with that comes in and, you know, I can't eat X, Y, Z. My doctor told me so specifically carbs in this case with, or sugar with diabetes if that were the cure to diabetes, diabetes wouldn't exist anymore. So we, yeah, we need to rule that out. And I love how you started with like, there's no diet for diabetes. And it's so true because the things that we go over with clients that have diabetes or that have maybe markers of prediabetes, those are similar things that once we get to that gentle nutrition principle with, with any human being that we can eat a certain way to have blood sugar control and, and have a balanced blood sugar. So we don't feel hangry and whatnot. So, um, I love all of those points that, that you're, you're talking about. And I think just like you said, I want to go back to the sustainability piece is when, and, and again, I'm asking these questions to you because I want to see how you answer them. When, when you see a patient or a client Mm -hmm. who has been told, I'm not allowed to eat sugar. I'm not allowed to have carbs. What is their relationship with that food usually look like behind closed doors? Well, usually there's restriction, you know, there's restriction that's happening when, when, uh, I, I, if I'm around cookies or I'm around sugar, um, I'm going to binge on that. I can't have it. It can't be in the house. I can't be around it. Well, when you restrict something, you know, we, we move the pendulum to the other side and there's binging that's going to happen. So whether you have diabetes, or you don't have diabetes that that's still going to happen. So if we remove the restriction, okay, you have diabetes, you know, carbs can be a concern because they are the thing that can raise the blood sugar. But when you remove that restriction and you're constantly in restriction and binge mode, think about what happens to the blood sugars at that point right? You're constantly in this, um, up and down of low blood sugar, binging high blood sugar. Um, so when we take away that restriction and we allow foods, all foods to be eaten, um, you actually are going to get better blood sugar control, um, because there is no restriction happening and therefore no more binging. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, I think, saying that I can't have a certain something is just a restriction that's going to lead to a binge eventually. Yes, exactly. We know that restriction is the number one indicator of binging. So, you know, and there's no, you know, we're not placing shame or guilt on doctors that necessarily say that, but, you know, to be able to hopefully if this reaches medical professionals to talk about how their verbiage is so important, because I think, I don't think they intend to harm people, but when you tell somebody that they can't have something or they shouldn't eat something, it literally has the opposite effect on them. Like it's literally means that they're going to try because they're going to listen to you and say, my doctor said X, Y, Z. Okay. I'm never going to eat that again. And they might actually think that's true until something happens, a stressful life event, a party, right? 
They don't have access to maybe the protein or whatever the other food is. There's only carbs available or whatever the thing is. And then I would also like you to talk about, okay, so we've talked about the restriction binge. So when we binge on food, we know that we feel physically unpleasant. And then something that we see with many clients specifically with diabetes, right. Is they're breaking that rule of like, oh my gosh, I'm not allowed to have X, Y, Z carbs, sugar, et cetera. So there's also that emotional unpleasantness that gets brought into it. So do you see that if, you know, clients with diabetes or even without, again, in this instance, how do we work through that restriction and binging and remove that emotional unpleasantness? How do you walk through that with clients? Well, I think, you know, it's this cycle of restriction binge and then that shame happens, right? That guilt and that shame. And really it, you don't have to not, you don't have to have diabetes or not diabetes to go through this. It's, it's the same for everybody. Um, when you now feel, okay, I just binged, I just overate. Um, if you have diabetes now you're, oh, there, now my blood sugars are high. Look what I did. I just messed up. And now you have guilt and shame. It's about coming at these situations without judgment and having so much more compassion for yourself. It's a learning process when you're going through the intuitive eating journey. And there is no pass or fail when you're an intuitive eater. And as you're going through it, again, having diabetes, there are going to be times where you you, you ate more than you should, or more than you felt you should, because now you don't feel good, but the judgment is what is going to cause the guilt and the shame. So coming at it from a place of compassion and grace and allowing yourself to just being able to listen to what your body is feeling. Um, the more you experience that, the, the more you can hear and you can make those changes and really pay attention to what your body is saying. I love that. I think that's so profound. What you just said is that that switch from, can we leave the, the judgment, the guilt and the shame at the door and be compassionate. And if, if self-compassion feels too hard right now, can we at least be curious, right? Of like, okay, I just binged what's going on. Like why? Right. Where's this coming from? And a lot of times I think when we take the moment, instead of, you know, all those anxious thoughts come in of like, oh my God, I just did this. I'm so bad. How could I do this? All those negative thoughts. Can we just pause and say like, okay, this doesn't make me a morally a bad human. What's happening here. And a lot of times we're going to find that if, if a binge just occurred, most likely there was a restriction on the other end. Yeah. I always tell my clients to, um, look at the situation as an observer, somebody from the outside, like look at this situation and what are you observing? And, and I always, always point out that, that there are learnings that you can gather that really should not have any shame or a guilt like associated with that. If you can stand aside and look at the situation and just break it down and really think about it, with, with a non-judgmental lens, you can see the situation so much more clearly. But as soon as you throw in the guilt or shame, that spiral just brings you down and it's just so hard to get out of that. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think it's a lot easier for people if you're looking at it as an observer, it's so much easier for us to be compassionate towards another person exactly. versus yeah. ourself, which is, it's, crazy. Self-compassion is lacking in so many. And that's a huge, I mean, as you know, that's a huge part of of what we, we work with our clients. So what, one thing I think like exactly like you've said, this entire conversation, whether you have diabetes or not, whether you have a loved one with diabetes or not, like these things, these principles, everything we're talking through is totally relatable for everyone. But what I do want to make sure we, we call on and, and bring to the conversation is that when there's a medical diagnosis present, there can be more fear or even more guilt of like, okay, sure. Someone's restricting and binging, but their blood sugar can control itself. So how do you work that into the conversation or how do you, that fear of 
the medical diagnosis? How do you navigate that? Well, I think, you know, anytime there is a health situation, somebody's coming in with, you know, is starting their intuitive eating journey and they have diabetes or high blood pressure or heart disease, there's always this pressure um, and guilt that I think comes from the, the, their medical professionals, right? Like, you know, you have to get your blood sugars under control. You have to get, you know, your, your blood pressure under control and all of these things. I think it's really important to, you know, the, the thing about intuitive eating, which is so amazing is that it's, a, it's really almost like shutting out everything else and starting to really listen to what's happening inside. Like, how are you feeling? What feels good to you? Um, you know, the fear is only going to cause more restriction. And then that restriction is just going to cause more binging. And then you're just back into that cycle again. And that's why I think intuitive eating is so amazing, especially for people with diabetes, because, um, I think when I've seen, um, patients or clients in the past, especially when I was working specifically with diabetes, with, with people, with people with diabetes, um, you know, there is that fear of, I ate a piece of cake or I had a cookie or I had something sweet and there's so much guilt and shame. I mean, yes, almost maybe worse than somebody who doesn't already have a disease state. And to try and say that all carbs fit, it doesn't matter if it's a cookie or an apple or a piece of bread, that all of these things are carbohydrates. They're all going to break down into your bloodstream into the same glucose. They all come from the same place. So helping people to understand that you can fit everything in, that it doesn't have to be scary, that you can, you know, test your blood sugars and see how your body, how things affect your body. And really that's what intuitive eating is, is like eating foods and seeing how your body reacts. How does your body feel? Um, so I think working with people who have diabetes, um, like bringing that fear back down and understanding that a carb is a carb is a carb is a carb. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I said that over the last, you know, 15 years, a carb is a carb is a carb. doesn't matter where the carbohydrates come from. Right. Um, but if you're in a restrict binge cycle, right, you're restricting a certain carb of some sort, you're going to binge on that carb and what's going to happen then with our blood sugars. It's just, it's just, you will have better blood sugar control. Um, removing the restriction, allowing all foods and, and, and really listening and seeing what your body, how your body reacts to that. I love that. And I love how you talked about carbs and all the different kinds. You brought me right back to a counseling session I had with uh, a gentleman years ago who we ended up getting his A1C down from like a 9.3 to I believe below six, but he came in and it's so funny because it's so funny to think he sought out dietitians like wanting help, but I remember him coming in with a food log and being like, I ate a burger and fries and like wanting me to tell him he couldn't have it. And I was like, that's awesome. Where'd you get it from? Like, was it good? And he was just like, what? He was like, you're supposed to take that away from me. And I was like, mm, that's not what we do here. And he was like, wait, so you're saying I can still eat burgers and fries and get my blood sugar down. And I was like, Yep. Yeah. And I think, so that would be a, a question for you. And I would, because I think this, again, these questions are specific to diabetes, but then we also get them all the time on social, just in general. Right. And I think the big misconception of intuitive eating is that all it means is eat whatever the fuck you want, as yeah. much as you want, fuck dieting, eat all the things. Right. And so people, when they have a, a diagnosis of diabetes, they're like, how is that going to help me? And so as you and I both know, yes, you have unconditional permission to eat, but once we start to feel physically, emotionally, mentally pleasant, then we can get to eventually to that 10th intuitive eating principle of gentle nutrition and work some of that in. So if someone would come to you with diabetes and say like, you know, I have diabetes, how can eat eating whatever the fuck I want? Like, how is that going to help me? What would your response be? Yeah, but you have to, you have to first, no matter what, whether you have diabetes or not. Okay. So let's say you come in, you have diabetes and you hear, okay, intuitive eating is just eating everything, just everything. 
and we know that that's not, but we, but we know sometimes that happens in the beginning when you start your journey, it's like, oh my God, I can have cookies and cake and ice cream. But eventually what happens, right. Is that that stuff is not as exciting anymore. You know, you can have it. It's just not something that like, you know, you, you have to have, or if you have it, you don't need as much as you needed in the past because it's a food that's neutral. Right. So if you're coming in and you have diabetes and you hear that, you know, I, 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 I say, look, you know, we, we are going to get to a place where you are going to be able to feel what feels good to you. You're going to be able to eat what feels good to you. You're going to be able to know when your body is saying, I don't need any more. Um, and so it's just this attunement that you will get with your body that you will be able to um, tr trust it. And it isn't just eating all that shit. You know, you, you may find you're eating all the crap you're eating everything. And then one day you're like, I just need a salad with salmon. Like that's what feels good to me. Not because you have to have it, not because you should have it, but because your body is asking for that. Um, and, and that's what happens. And that's what we see when we, when we have clients that come through, you know, they, they do get to a point where, you know, all food, uh, you know, a cookie and an apple, kind of are the same thing. Some days I want a cookie, some days I want an apple. It just depends on what I'm feeling in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, whenever they're craving that salad with salmon, they're like, but that's diet food. You're allowed to have the nutrient dense foods too. Yeah. How about you? When I mean, you have a client, you're like, oh, I had chicken and broccoli like a lot this week. Am I going back on a diet? I'm like, no, that's just, if that's what you want and that's what your body's craving, then that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds so simple to say now, but as like, as you know, going through the process with somebody, it's, it's huge, huge mindset shifts and enlightenment for sure. For sure. Um, any like last remarks or anything that you feel like we didn't touch on with diabetes care, anything that you wanted to get to? Just that, I mean, like I said before, even when I was doing this way back in the day, knowing that you can live a very long, happy, healthy life with diabetes, just in terms of blood sugar control, whether with you take medication or not, but especially with, with eating and diet that you can enjoy all the things everybody enjoys. You can go through the intuitive eating journey and be successful and still come out with good blood, blood sugar control and good diabetes, um, care. I, I think it, it can feel scary because we do say, eat all the foods, you can have whatever you want. But once you really start to become an intuitive eater, you realize that like food is just food and you want certain things and you don't want certain things after a while. And it really just comes down to balance. And that's what we tell our clients anyway, is just, having good behaviors and eating balanced at your meals. And, you know, you'll start to see what feels good and what doesn't feel good. But really the bottom line is that, um, you know, all foods fit a carb is a carb is a carb and you can have diabetes and go on an intuitive eating journey and be very successful and also healthy, which I think is really important. Yeah. I love that. That's such a, a great way to, to wrap up our combo and, I have, I'm going to butcher how to say her name. I wish, I wish I knew how to pronounce it correctly. I believe it's Megret and I'm going to spell it out. M-E-G-R-E-T-T-E.com. She's one of the leading health at every size, non-diet approach, diabetes care dietitians. And the top of her, her website says teaching diabetes care is hard enough Let's stop bringing body shame and weight stigma into the appointments. And I think one thing I just realized it when I read her website that we didn't touch on what makes our care different than the weight centric approach is that if you come into our practice with diabetes, our treatment plan, 1A is not weight loss. And that's a big the big difference is we're going to say, okay, what are your current, what is your current relationship with food? Like, are you binging and restricting? What foods do you enjoy? You know, what are your current behaviors? What is your movement like hydration, all these things, 
Whereas if we're working out of a weight centric model, they say, if you lose X percentage of weight, right. That your diabetes control will be better when we know that that is not conclusive evidence because there's ways that we can lose air, like lose weight, but that can be very unhealthy. And so working through this model, exactly like you said, all foods fit 100%. And that when you're working with an intuitive eating health at every size, aligned dietitian and diabetes care, there is zero judgment or shame around the size of your body. That's literally not looked at because that tells us nothing about your health. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to point out that you know, I, I had many clients in my past working in diabetes that were in larger bodies and had amazing A1Cs and smaller bodies that had shitty A1Cs. Um, you do it. The size of your body does not dictate, um, how well you control your blood sugars. And that is really important because I feel like from the medical field, you're right. That's the first thing they do is try and make people lose weight. And we know that isn't going to last. We know that's not sustainable. And that's actually worse for blood sugar control to be gaining and losing and gaining and losing. So um, I just want to make sure I, I put that out there that the size of your body does not dictate how well your blood sugars are controlled or how healthy you are. Yes, absolutely. Because if that were the case, then all people living in smaller bodies wouldn't have diabetes and anybody. And that that's saying that everyone in larger bodies should have diabetes. And again, that comes back to like weight stigma 101. And so I'm happy that you brought that up. We touched on this point because that's something that we didn't even work into the previous conversation, which if you're somebody listening to this podcast, and you reside in a larger body or your family member resides in a larger body and there is a diabetes diagnosis, please know that the size of your body is not responsible for a diagnosis. Right. Yeah. 100%. And yes. And so that, that kind of really beautifully wraps into just like we remove the guilt and the shame with the food, it's removing the guilt and the shame of the size of our body and yeah. being able to say, like you said so beautifully earlier, how do I turn inward? How do I take care of me? What feels physically pleasant, emotionally pleasant? And again, diabetes or not, all of this information, I think, resonates. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I think that's amazing. And I think, you know, that's, you know, the really just thinking about it now, going through so many years working specifically in diabetes and and seeing so many different bodies having diabetes with all different types of blood sugar control that to even point out that the, you know, the size of your body has anything to do with having good blood sugar control or not is, is silly. Cause it's just, it's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And calling on that. And I think that's, it's so important. And so for anyone listening, if, if you have diabetes, if a family member or friend has diabetes, we, we would be so appreciative if you just send this podcast their way and, and let them know that they are not alone. And if they've experienced weight stigma with a medical professional or feel like they haven't gotten proper care, that there are health professionals other than just Julie and I, you know, preaching this message and helping people, um, not only on their intuitive eating journey, but also just live a fulfilling life with diabetes. Um, and again, with blood sugar control, I'm going to definitely link in the show notes The it's, I believe megrit.com. I feel bad if I'm totally butchering her name, but, um, she has some wonderful free resources specifically, you know, with intuitive eating health at every size and diabetes care. Um, but otherwise, like we've said from the beginning of this podcast, if you have diabetes or have a family member or friend with diabetes, you can absolutely start your intuitive eating journey and, and our team would be happy to support. Yes. So I'm going to pass it over to you one more time, Julie, anything you want to add, leave our, our followers with anything. No, just that this is an amazing, um, intuitive eating is an amazing journey, regardless of whether you have, a, a, a medical issue or not, um, 
it's been life-changing for me being, being an intuitive eating counselor. I have to say, I, um, I'm very grateful to be working in this practice and being able to meet with these amazing women that I meet with every single day and helping them, uh, you know, change their life and be with them alongside them during their journey. And it's, it's, the other side is amazing. It feels really stressful and hard and just kind of confusing when you're starting out. But I do have to say that at the end result, when you really get in touch with who you are and what you need and trusting your body is the most amazing thing. And I, you know, would love to work with anybody who, um, you know, anybody who's listening or who, who, uh, yeah, comes through. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And it's, it's so true. I think the intuitive eating journey at first is like, oh shit, this is scary. This is hard. This is hard work. Cause it's so easy to just go back to the, the, I'm going to use air quotes, controlling your diet, the false sense of control. Um, but once you, you really just realize that you can build trust with your body and there's absolutely nothing wrong with our bodies. That's just diet culture's lie. Um, it is a very, very beautiful thing. So it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful thing to watch yeah. happen. Yeah. With, with clients. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with me, Julie. See, that wasn't so bad. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I didn't even drop an F-bomb. I can't even believe it. You didn't? I think you did. So I don't know. I might have to start over again. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves and follow along with us on social at what the actual fork pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will see you next week for a lot more fun.